37 of Positive Regression, a motorsports analytics podcast. I'm Alan Kavan of Fox Sports, joined by David Smith of Motorsports Analytics. On this episode, we have a champion. We have a full season. At points, we didn't think we'd say that. And now we're looking back on the championship four and how they could even improve on 2021. Plus, the results from our crew chief draft earlier this year and who made the best calls on the signal callers. But first, as always, this is episode 87 of Positive Regression. This is the Buck Baker edition. David, we talked about son Buddy Baker on an earlier episode. We should give him some love to father Buck Baker. David, it doesn't get more OG than old Buck because he was in the very first race in NASCAR history. So that's pretty cool right there. But all in all, 46 wins, two titles, 633 starts, many of them in a number 87 car. Uh, David, what I love about, you know, just those baseline stats that I told you about, the, the two championships. David, he won those titles at ages 37 and 38. And on a podcast where we love to talk about performance in the late 30s, this guy was doing it back in the 1950s. He did indeed. He was actually the first consecutive Cup Series winner in NASCAR history. So he he made history in that regard. Uh, full name, Elsie Wiley Baker. Take it from someone whose name is David Smith. That <laughs> That is an amazing name. <laughs> totally original. Of course, he's better known as Buck. But Alan, did you know he was a bus driver before he ever went racing and he attributed his driving style to maneuvering a, a very large vehicle around? I, I think that's kind of interesting, right? We always talk about cross sure. training. That's some very unique cross training. Imagine having a bus driver with like a heavy lead, you know, right foot. That must have been fun at times. For him, not, <laughs> not, not for the people in the back of the bus. No, not at all. Uh, 46 race victories, 372 top 10 finishes, and that represents 59% of his starts. And you mentioned the two championship seasons coming at ages 37 and 38. They, uh, those, those seasons were 1957 and 1958. He earned 24 victories across those two years. So 52% of his career win total came during that two-year window. And Alan, after his retirement, he opened the Buck Baker Ooh. Racing School, and it was that school where a young Jeff Gordon drove a stock car for the first time. So Buck Baker, uh, big impression while he was in the sport, and uh, certainly maybe the, the lost dynastic family, and it paid forward in a very big way. Lost dynastic family. What a great term that is. That, those are Nate Ryan-level words there, but that's good. That's a great way to put it, because as you put it so eloquently, I was thinking to myself, you know, that's a family that doesn't get talked about you know, enough. How can I put that in good words? And then you just did. So there you go. The Baker family, well represented uh, here on Positive Regression, episode 80. Of positive regression, the Buck Baker edition. Good stuff. David, the season is over. So let's get this started in terms of our requiems and fixes. We've done this for every single playoff round. Now it's time to do for the final four after that fun race in Phoenix that uh, saw play out, you know, very naturally at the end with a long run. Uh, ultimately, the speed of Chase Elliott, I'll let you weigh in on that, but it looks, it appears, you know, obviously that won out uh, as Chase Elliott had a fast car on the day and fast car throughout the season and the long run at the end, he was able to get past Joey Logano. 
uh, you know, with, and for what, about 40 laps and drove it right to a championship at the end. So good stuff. Congratulations, Chase Elliott. Uh, but there's always something to look at as to what they did and what they can improve on. So we're going to do that with all of the championship four and we'll start with our champion. And, and David, you're up. You, you got Chase Elliott. He had five wins. He ends with the season with and one title. Um, I don't know if the title was a surprise, but how do you sum up his season, David? Scoreboard. Boom. Point to it, man. There you go. These are your 2020 NASCAR champions, this number nine team. So they achieved it. I mean, they, they reached the top of the mountain and you cannot take that away from them. This was the fastest team in the NASCAR Cup Series this season, uh, across all 36 races and on 750 horsepower tracks specifically. Chase Elliott wrapped the season as the fourth most productive driver, a peer of over 3.0 at age 24. Alan, we talk about trajectories a lot. I think we have a legend in the making on our hands because this is a heck of a trajectory. Um, this season was a, was a year of improvement for him. He was the fifth most efficient passer in the series, the most efficient passer among the 16 drivers who qualified for the playoffs. He had the second biggest adjusted pass differential in the series. That improvement uh, as a passer also made its way towards his restarting habits this season. Um, and that improvement was crucial to his year. But may I be so bold as to suggest that we didn't witness the totality of his improvement because by the numbers, this team underachieved this year. Uh, what? <laughs> oh, on. yes. Go on. <laughs> a top 15 efficiency of negative 15.4%. Alan, that means he left five top 15 finishes on the table based on his expected number. And that expectation comes from his frequency of running inside the top 15. Furthermore, those may have been very high finishes because he had five races in which he led over 5% of the race, but did not finish in the top half of the field. That is a, a dubious record. Uh, the season should have been more prosperous than it actually was. And that is something considering they are the champions. But imagine if those results came to fruition or if that change is made and they fulfill their promise for the whole of 2021, this will be a dangerous, dominant race team moving forward. And Alan, the fix is to get those results. Get the results your statistics suggest are there for the taking. And if that happens, it's more than likely they have a stronger season next year than they had this year. Look out, everybody. And while we have you here, David, I just want to stress his age some more, if you can put it to even further perspective, because I just putting it on Twitter, reminding people, Chase Elliott is younger than Christopher Bell and Chase Briscoe, Briscoe, who will likely be the top rookie candidate next year. As a rookie, Chase Elliott will be younger than him and already cup champion. Uh, you, you talked about his peer and the historical perspective of that being so good at such a young age. But uh, what, what, what else can you say about a driver this young, 24, he'll be 25 here soon, but uh, already being this good? Is there still room for improvement? I mean, can you put this in perspective? Chase Elliott won a championship at age 24. Jimmy Johnson made his first Cup Series start at age 26. 
So there's a lot to expect. And based on what we've seen so far, Chase Elliott has hit or surpassed a lot of relevant marks. He's going to contend uh, with being one of the best active drivers as soon as next season. And that's just in terms of production rating over his average age. He's far better than what has been expected from his average age. And if the trend continues, then yeah, easy Hall of Fame career. It seems weird that we're talking about that already, but that's how he's tracking. And he has a championship on his resume to boot. So yeah, that's that's the direction that we're heading. Uh, the most disappointing thing is if we see a drop-off, which is possible. We, we saw it with drivers like Ryan Newman and Casey Kane that tracked so well very early in their careers, and for differing reasons, they did drop off. We don't want to see Chase Elliott's star fade because NASCAR is more fun when there are more drivers that have the ability to go out and dominate. If you have a whole barrel full of them, then you're going to see a lot of good racing. Good stuff. Good perspective. And congratulations, Chase Elliott, uh, to 2020 champion, Cup Series champion at 24. How about that? All right, let's move on to the next one, David. I'll take Brad Kislowski, who finished a second in Sunday's race, uh, in Phoenix. David, for his year, Brad Kislowski, four wins, 13 top fives, 24 top tens. All of those stats either matched or were an improvement over 2019. So good stuff there. Most importantly, obviously his first trip to the final four in a while and damn near a win in the championship race. Maybe if you want to attribute some of those poor pit stops, David, I mean, they certainly didn't help. It seemed like every time he went into the pits on Sunday, uh, he went the wrong direction and he would go back out there and start going the right direction on the track. He had speed and was passing cars. You just wonder what would have happened with a late race caution or if some other track position circumstances had gone um, uh, his direction. We'll never know, I guess. But uh, other than that, other than those things, one of the best restarters in the series this year, David, especially in the non-preferred groove retention category. Uh, he was good late in the race in terms of speed. He's been fast lately in terms of speed, the two team in general. But what I want to get to, David, those are all the good stuff, right? And he had a great year. If we're looking at all relevant passing categories, he was outside the top 10 amongst the top drivers. So for a top four driver to have that kind of weakness, I feel, David, it's just, you you see the good that they had this year. And if they can improve upon that, you know, as uh, Brad Keselowski gets into his prime, there were some weaknesses there in his passing numbers throughout the year on all types of tracks. Like I said, in all relevant passing stats. Uh, he was kind of outside the top 10, not what you would expect for a driver who ended up being in the top four. So before we talk about his team and his crew chief, you want to touch on that? Uh, well, I mean, so one thing you said that was really interesting about the, the speed in the championship race, you and I both picked him to win Phoenix in our championship race preview live stream. Uh, we talked about that undefeated race car going into the race. Alan, that was the fastest car in Phoenix. Wow. So I, I oh. would, I would point, I would point to those pit stops as, yeah. I mean, in, in terms of how it affected track position, that was huge. What and a kick in the nuts. I'm sorry. Yeah. Sorry, guys. They, they, <laughs> they, I mean, they, they brought it and they, they absolutely brought it. And this season for Brad Kozlowski is going to be probably by him remembered on so many weird levels. We talked last week about the one-year contract extension that he settled for. 
But in all reality, on paper, 2020 was the best single season's worth of statistical production of his career. He ranked third in peer. He's never scored a better peer. He actually shored up his top 15 efficiency from last season. Uh, if you'll recall, I said that he was one of the year's great underachievers. Uh, he had one of the worst top 15 efficiencies last season. This year, that was shored up. He went from 23 top 15 finishes to 30. I mean, it was just that kind of consistent front running and, again, the ability to put himself in situations to capitalize on the mistakes of others. That was what defined this team. This was a productive race car driver and a very good race team on the tracks that seemed to matter, uh, that seemed to be relevant in the playoffs and he had the fastest car in the championship race. Yes. So that's why I want to shout out. Oh, go ahead. Ultimately it might be a season that's tough to swallow. Right. Yeah. But, oh, yeah. but at the same time, there is a lot in which to be proud and Keselowski fans shouldn't lose sight of that because this was, this was a monstrous effort from Brad Keselowski this year. Yeah. And give credit to his crew chief, Jeremy Bullins. And again, that was a switch they made this year. So, I um, mean, having so, so much success, uh, in a new year like that, you got to give some credit there because he did bring the fast race cars, especially late on in the season, uh, the, re- the most recent part of the season. But David, in terms of, uh, pit strategy or pit calls, we we're still seeing some questionable stuff from Jeremy Bullins. Uh, I looked at his numbers, 44.44 retention percentage, green flag pit stops. That that was the lowest really among contenders. Um, plus 11 positions overall for the season that they've gained on green flag pit cycles. Uh, not great, but certainly not the worst by any means, but it, you know, not great when you compare them to everybody else. Uh, so uh, there's still a fix there. If, if we're looking toward 2021, maybe some of those pit calls could be shored up just a little bit. But again, we're talking the top four here. So it's hard to be too nitpicky. It's hard to find too many weaknesses. But as you said, um, you know, fast car, especially at the end in the championship race, uh, you know, you got to make, you got to find something to talk about <laughs> and, and just shoring up those little, those little fixes. Who knows what he can do in 2021. Yeah, a little bit less heavy lifting for Brad Keselowski next year could ultimately go a long way. And these top 15 finishes that he increased, uh, all of a sudden they can become more regular top five finishes and ultimately more wins. The best is still yet to come for Brad Keselowski. All right, Brad Keselowski, uh, we'll see you next year. Next up, David, you have Denny Hamlin. And, and frankly, I, I was pulling for Hamlin, if only because we love the age 39 on this podcast, David. And this was Denny Hamlin's age 39 season. Uh, and it was awesome. So, uh, you know, give us some credit there. Age 39, all the wins, the Daytona 500, the duel with Kevin Harvick he had throughout much of the year. I mean, that was just, a, just a, such a great memorable part of a crazy season that I think a lot of race fans will remember for a long time. And it ends up coming just a few spots short of a championship. I don't know how much the circumstances of Phoenix, just in general, that one track, just Phoenix, you know, played into him being a champion or not. But David, let's go overall, if you want to first, uh, about Denny Hamlin's year. Yeah, the age 39 season absolutely lived up to the hype. It was his career best season in terms of peer, uh, 3.847 rating that ranked second in the series this year. The team actually ranked sixth in central speed, fifth on 550 tracks, seventh on 750 tracks. How this team made up for 
the discrepancy was a little bit of everything. As we've discussed on our championship race preview, Chris Gabehart was a strength more so to his driver than any crew chief among the championship four based on strategic output. He finished the season with 64% retention on green flag pit cycles, 58% retention when pitting from the top five series wide average is just under 40% for that. But Hamlin was also a plus passer on 750 tracks and he was a top five restarter. And that's the good. That's what helped deliver seven wins. The bad was this team's close to the season. They ranked 11th in central speed across the playoff stretch. And that doesn't include Talladega, which was the site of his only playoff win this year. So the fix is a more centralized focus on the playoff tracks, specifically the 750 tracks. Similar to Kevin Harvick's team at Stuart Haas, Denny Hamlin's team, Aim for strength everywhere, uh, potentially to the detriment of performance on the shorter tracks. And Hamlin alluded to this over the course of the last week, suggesting that they didn't have the short track performance this year. Uh, certainly not good enough to tip the scales in his favor when it mattered most. And the natural step for the Hamlin-Gabehart combo is a championship, the natural next step. Uh, the best crack at that is to focus more heavily on the tracks where they didn't fare as well in 2020. So maybe eschew being historically great and go for the one trophy that you know you're targeting. Not a bad strategy, especially if that's the only thing missing on your resume. I remember doing this episode last year, David, and we talked about Martin Shrex Jr. And, and, you know, coming off a great year, not a championship, but he was coming off a great year. And your fix for the Truex, for Truex was get good at Phoenix, right? Like that was the only thing he had to do is because he was good everywhere else, but he had to be good at Phoenix if you're going to win a championship. And I think similar vein here, uh, for Denny Hamlin and the 11 team. Get good at Phoenix, and uh, you're you're going to increase your chances a whole bunch. Yeah, I mean they they showed that they can get through a season. I mean, that, and it's very difficult to do that. They gave themselves a playoff point cushion uh, by having a, a dominant regular season stretch, but those playoff races you you can't you, you cannot be the 11th fastest team in the playoffs and expect to win the championship. That is. That is a lofty expectation at that point. So even beyond Phoenix, I would say playoff tracks as a whole ensure that you're peaking at the right time. I know that that's sort of an impossible thing. Uh, Adam Stevens said last year he doesn't set his eye calendar to, uh, to peak at the right time <laughs> come, come playoffs, but that is sort of the case. You, you want your speed when it matters and it showed. I mean, of course, Denny Hamlin would have liked a faster car last Sunday. And I think that's true for the whole of the playoffs. They could have been more competitive and I think they have the capacity to be more competitive. So fulfill that capacity and uh, let's see what happens. This is a little off topic, but I do wonder as we get more data points on this playoff system, I mean, I mean, that's all we talked about is all the playoff points that Denny Hamlin and Kevin Harvick have and or had going in right and how safe they were for getting to phoenix and denny hamlin was a few positions away a very helpful 
teammate, Eric Jones is still trying to pass him at Martinsville, right? I mean, a very helpful teammate away from not making it. So what I'm getting at is, I mean, when do teams start really evaluating this data and saying, yeah, all these playoff points are great, but the performance in the playoffs does actually matter, right? And the performance at these playoff tracks, when, you know, when do you start tailoring toward that? And again, I, it's weird for me to suggest they would tailor away from all these other tracks like the Poconos and the Indies of the world. But but someone's going to notice that all the playoff points in the world don't mean anything if someone gets if three other drivers get wins in that third round, right? I mean, no matter how many playoff points you have, uh, you know, the, the best two of the year, if three other drivers win, one of those best two get is not in. So, I mean, someone's going to do this math eventually. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> and it and it won't be the same next year because there are five regular season races on on road courses. And what do you have then? You might have some teams with a plethora of points accumulated from stages and potentially playoff points that I don't know. Does does good performance at those tracks merit anything come playoff time? I, I think it's a no, but we're going to comprehend that polarity next year. Uh, we're going to see some gaps in that. I, I, I sitting here right now, I'm sure there is going to be a team that has what is seemingly a surprising playoff run because the regular season doesn't really resemble much of what we see in the playoffs, but we'll see. Yeah. And one of those drivers that, uh, I'll, I'll get to in a second, but, uh, that was Denny Hamlin's year. Um, I'll move on to the last of our final four, Joey Logano and a near mirror of 2019 in terms of top fives and top tens, but he had three wins in 2020 instead of the two wins he had in 2019 and a trip back to the final four. And David, this is what I was getting at in terms of the formula, you know, not as dominant, obviously, as Kevin Harvick and Denny Hamlin. But he kind of has the formula down in terms of he won very early in the season. He won late in round three of the playoffs, and that put him right in the final four. That's all you need. Who cares about the checker flags in between the playoff points, the stage wins? All I mean, obviously, you want all that stuff, clearly. I mean, don't get me wrong there. But, I mean, Logano and the team, they kind of had the formula down. So, uh, you know, gave him a great chance at a at a championship. Uh, decent restarter. Uh, those are all the good things. Uh, but David, I was looking, you know, a little deeper at motorsportsanalytics.com. He had a pretty high negative top 15, uh, efficiency. And you were talking about that with Chase Elliott, that for as good as they ran and for as much as he was running in the top 15, uh, he didn't finish there as much as he should have this year. So that, that was kind of a knock on him, I thought, this year. And much like his Penske teammate, his passing numbers, not the greatest. I was looking through all the different passing categories, and he was a positive passer on only one track type. I think it was mile and a half. So that's, that's a good one to have, but still. Um, you know, he had good top five speed from the crew chief, Paul Wolf. That was good to see. Um, but, you know, we saw some of that speed fade away a little bit, I think, at Phoenix, at least at the end there. And that, that seemed to be a bit of a trend that the speed was going down in the last part of the race. But... He had great speed on the 750 tracks, which gave him a shot at a championship, especially in those last two races, Martinsville and Phoenix. So a lot of good there, but uh, there was a, little, a few weaknesses with his passing and, and especially getting the finishes he deserves. Those would be my fixes for Joey Logano. No, you hit on the weaknesses. And and you said you know earlier in your description that it was kind of a mirror season based on the, the superficial stat line, but I don't think he looked anything like he did in 2019. And the proof of that was in 2019, he was the third most efficient passer in the entire series 
based on surplus passing value. And this season he was a negative and don't know about you, but I don't like seeing drivers take steps backward. Uh, I thought he made a tremendous progression last season was hoping to see that continue. And you're right about the other thing. He left races on the table. Joey Logano is an exceptional talent. And if he is able to put it all together to the point where he is impenetrable, just no weaknesses in his driving repertoire whatsoever, then we're going to see something truly special. But we didn't see that this year. So that's that's sort of going to be my lasting memory was this year was just, yeah, they, they made it to a championship four and the stats looked kind of like they did last year, but this wasn't the same driver. And I, I'd like to see a return of the driver we saw in 2019 and at the end of 2018. Uh, I want that driver back because that was something special, just this ruthless, efficient mover he he rankles some folks when they watch him uh, at his height, uh, but we need to see a return to that because he kind of faded into relative obscurity at times this uh, this year. And a driver who disappears over the course of a race just ultimately isn't all that competitive in the grand scheme. I think there's a more competitive Joey Logano to be had, and I will be interested to see if Penske can tap into that in 2021. All right, good stuff. Our requiems and fixes for the championship four. David, you want to do a quick postmortem on Phoenix? I, I think it just played out like we, we exactly how we previewed. Chase has a ton of speed. Uh, Denny Hamlin did not at that track, and it, that certainly played out and showed itself there. Um, Brad Kislowski had good closing speed and may could have done something with a, a short run at the end. And Joey Logano had good speed, led a lot of laps, but it faded at the end. And we saw that kind of toward the end of the season in terms of fourth quarter speed. I mean, it sort of played out just like the numbers said it would. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we, we said on the preview, we would be shocked if these four guys didn't have fast race cars. They were the four fastest. They were the top four for the majority of the day. Hold your conspiracy theories. I don't think that's a surprise for, for the remaining 35 teams. It was the last day of school or the, the last day of a long grind of a season. And the fact that these four guys had mm, somewhere in the neighborhood of $5 million <laughs> to compete for, um, it stands to reason that the result made sense. And I thought at the front of the field, the race was great. Uh, it came down to car, uh, certainly, but Chase Elliott's drive through the field, he went into this race as the most efficient passer on 750 tracks. So starting from the rear and making his way through it, it was efficient. It was fast. He probably had a little bit more room than usual, but I think he was going to get there anyway. We talked about that on the race preview. Um, and he did. And you're right. I think everything manifested the way we thought. We weren't sure who the winner would be, but, uh, the, the, the questions that popped up, I mean, you know, pit crew mistakes, mm -hmm. small things like that. I mean, it, it ultimately came down to human error for, for Brad Kozlowski's team. And had he retained a lot of that track position that he ended up losing, then he could have given Chase Elliott a more hardy fight towards the end of that race. Uh, and even a driver whose closing kick we questioned, it was a pretty solid closing kick 
for the two teams. So they had the speed and they had that, uh, that car. I can't wait to see what that car can do next year. There are more 750 tracks on the schedule. There's going to be two Darlington races at 750 horsepower. I can't wait for that. Uh, so, so the fact that these four guys brought it, uh, for that race, I, I thought it was highly entertaining. Um, a little stressful at times, but, uh, yeah, you, you can't say that uh, any of those four guys brought duds because that was just seconds on pit road or, uh, uh, seconds lost by an ill handling race car. Uh, the, the vibrations that both Penske guys fought, the, uh, the, the tightness that Denny Hamlin fought. That was, that was the difference. And ultimately at this kind of level in a playoff system that has, been a mechanism for unearthing elevated performance such as this, uh, I don't see how anybody can be disappointed because that race was stupendous. Good stuff. Nice wrap on 2020. Today's episode of Positive Regression is sponsored by Extra Life. Extra Life is an organization started in Texas to help fundraise for Children's Miracle Network Hospitals. One of their fundraising drives is happening on November 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, and you can join them. The folks at Extra Life will go live on Twitch TV for 24 straight hours of video gaming, incentive-based hijinks. If you want one of them to shoot themselves with a paintball gun, they're going to do it. Legs waxed, anything goes, and it's for a tremendous cause. So go to twitch.tv backslash roundabout pro to participate and donate extra life on behalf of children's miracle network november 20th at 7 p.m eastern time all right good stuff there and david the 2020 season is over uh for the drivers but we had our own contest which i guess is now over that we're going to learn the results of because earlier in the year we've done this a few years now uh we did the crew chief draft we you and i both drafted a team of crew chiefs uh, trying to guess and pick out the best decision makers in terms of green flag uh, positions gained during green flag pit cycles and simple arithmetic throughout the year. Whoever, uh, whosever's team had the most is the winner. So David, uh, we're, we're, you're going to unveil the results because I'll admit it's kind of been a while and I don't remember my full team, but I hopefully picked a good one. And this all stems from episode 48 earlier this year, but we actually built in an amendment, Alan. Uh, I actually built it in, but neither of us used I know. The, the drop add rule, which we could drop one crew chief and add a new one over the course of the season. I think the season got away from us for all the reasons, <laughs> but but probably a lesson to keep things simple uh, moving forward. But the results, Team Kavana's roster of Trent Owens – James Small, Greg Irwin, and Brian Patty earned a net positional gain of 16 spots. Oh, no. Team Smith, consisting of Chris Gale, Pat Trison, Scott Graves, and Ryan Sparks, scored a net gain of 216 oh, spots. <laughs> you mean uh, like 200? 200 even. Oh How about that? Goodness. Uh, Alan, your breadwinner ah. was number one overall pick, Trent Owens, who earned you and Ryan Priest 63 positions during green flag pit cycles. Pretty good, pretty good. 
The pick who let you down was Greg Irwin on behalf of Matt DiBenedetto. Oh. Negative 40 positions. Oh. And, and, and for DiBenedetto, I think that was reflected. Uh, he, his restarting was sensational. His long run effort, uh, a lot to be desired. And Greg Irwin did not help him in that regard. Meanwhile, I cleaned up all four of my crew chiefs, uh, ended with a net positive. Scott Graves, Landed 101 spots on behalf of Ryan Newman uh, and Ross Chastain. Don't forget about that. Mm -hmm. And Ryan Sparks earned 74 spots for Corey LaJoy. And you got to think for Ryan Sparks, this was his first year as a crew chief. He was a longtime RCR engineer, uh, but he proved his competence in uh, in the manner of uh, the, the the lead role. It's at least a box checked off if he's looking for a new gig, something full-time, because Go Fast Racing will not be a full-time team in 2021. So uh, a good year, all stemming from a conversation I had with Orion Sparks in February to see if he kind of understood what was going on during Green Flag Pit Cycles, and he thought that he had a lot to bring, and he backed that up. Uh, so uh, my team, uh, pulling in the the net positive to uh, score the, the 2020 Crew Chief Draft victory to say the least so congratulations to you david um i don't know maybe i did did you avenge a loss from last year i don't think we ever cashed in on that either so <laughs> no. no i won i won last year no <laughs> i was hoping your memory was bad i'm i'm i'm, I'm too ahead i'm over uh, too right now but, but i will tell you that trent owens has established himself as just the mvp of this from one season to the next uh, i will point out that I, I listened to episode 48 of the crew chief draft, just re-listened to it, uh, last night. Before you picked Brian Patty, you told me that you were playing chess while I was playing checkers. You then announced that Brian Patty was your final pick because Mike Kelly was his car chief. Um, that did amount to 20 positions earned, but I don't think that was the uh, the positional cash that you were uh, thinking it was going to deliver. You think, David? You think? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, what I mean, I don't know. I mean, this is something I think people don't hear other places, you know, us talking about crew chiefs and positions gained on green flag pit cycles. Anything else you want to touch on that stood out in 2020? I'm looking at some of the numbers. Uh, you know, a guy like Mike Shiplett for Cole Custer, obviously, he, he, he made some really good decisions. But part of that obviously comes with, you know, Cole was in the back a lot, right? So if you're in the back, you're going to make these decisions that, that jump you a little bit and that, that may pad his numbers. But, you know, it's still when you're trying to gain track position, these are the decisions you have to be that have to be made, right? You have to make the best decision in the environment you are in, if you will. These positions can largely make or break a year. You know, for instance, the crew chief who gained the most spots during green flag pit cycles this season was Drew Blickensdurfer on behalf of Michael McDowell. And Michael McDowell had the best season he's ever had in the Cup Series, just in terms of an average finish standpoint for front row motorsports. And it shows. One of the reasons that they overachieved relative to their speed is because they were finding these spots on the racetrack without ever having to pass someone the traditional way. So these aren't ticky-tack positions. They don't just come back at the end of a cycle. They do matter, and they mean a lot. For for Mike Shiplett and Cole Custer, we quickly understood where they were going to make their bones just based on both of their relative inexperience in the Cup Series because Mike Shiplett is a rookie Cup Series crew chief. But it was green flag pit cycles, 
and restarts. And the race that they ended up winning, uh, Shiplett gained, I want to say, close to 20 spots on Green Flag Pit Cycles, and Cole Custer won the race thanks to a restart. So things like this, these these numbers that we harp on, when you put them together, they do occasionally manifest in front of your eyes. Uh, and we saw a lot of that this season. Uh, and, and we like to have this draft primarily to highlight what these crew chiefs, most of which are in the back half of the field, but we want to highlight what they do well and how they go about getting positions without having to rely on more traditional methods like speed or straightforward passing. Ooh, good stuff. And I learned a lot this year. Uh, I learned maybe, well, did I really learn a lot? Because I picked a pretty awful team compared to yours. So maybe I learned a lot this year and I'll apply it to next year is what I'm saying, David. And then I'll finally win. All right. Third time's a I charm. So. All right. Good. Yeah, absolutely. I, I like it when it's competitive, not, you know, a 200 point <laughs> oh, separation. My goodness. I didn't know what I was doing. All right. Well, it's been a good year. Uh, David, this was, we, we're, we're wrapping up season two. You know, the, the, uh, the cup series, the NASCAR series, it was a crazy year with COVID and everything, but they got all the events in. They crowned three champions. It was so much fun to be a part of that on pit road and just be down there. And I was one of the few people, you know, at the garage still interacting with people. So that was such a privilege. And, uh, you know, I hopefully some of that knowledge and some of those relationships, the benefits of those came through here on positive regression. And uh, the good news is we are already looking toward 2021, David. Yeah. This is the last episode of our second season. Barring anything unforeseen, it's our plan to be back for a third season. So it's our idea to continue offering the kind of podcast we currently offer, but behind the scenes, we see a need for growth. And the survey that we asked uh, you to take, that some of you took, that was a tremendous turnout, by the way. That was helpful in understanding what steps we need to take next. But yes, we are sticking around uh, a little while longer, Ellen. Yeah, good stuff. And I'm just going to look forward to being a, uh, a a good citizen and husband in the off season and uh, enjoy some a little downtime with my wife. You may hear me pop up on the radio once in a while on Sirius XM, hopefully, and fill in there a little bit. And, um, you know, make sure you, you keep, keep up on Twitter. There's there's bound to be some news. There's already a test next week for the, the new generation car. So uh, there'll, there'll be plenty to talk about or at least discuss uh, via, you know, on Twitter. And we can, I hope the conversation can continues on there but you know we all deserve a little break uh so that, that's what i'll be doing in the off season david yeah my plan and i hope this is also the plan of everyone everywhere literally and figuratively after the year that's occurred but i'm going to try and catch my breath uh my layoff earlier this year was a bump in the road but i still had to steer the car over it and by that it meant Completely rebuilding a website, adopting a Patreon model, pitching freelance analysis seemingly everywhere. And there was, even during the COVID stoppage, never really a break. So I'm going to slow down a little bit. I'll still be working, but I am taking two months off of my writing duties for Forbes to focus entirely on motorsports analytics and growing the world of positive regression. And for Motorsports Analytics, this actually includes driver capsules by request. I've never done this, but I'm looking forward to it. If you're a patron at the $10 level or higher, you can request a driver or two or three, and I'll write a short capsule or make a chart as they come in, forecasts, 
retrospectives, whatever is interesting to you. And that will begin after the Thanksgiving holiday. And of course, uh, my usual off-season content, the think pieces, the awards columns, overachievers and underachievers, and eventually the preseason SWOT analyses, those will all surface on motorsportsanalytics.com. So keep your eyes peeled during the off-season months. I take pride in the evergreen content of the off-season. It is a time for reflection. It's a time for thought. It is a time for catching your breath. So read a book, watch a Netflix show, indulge in the self-care you need, and motorsportsanalytics.com will keep its lights on, and positive regression will return. Good stuff. Good stuff, David. Uh, good year. You know, again, it just... Uh, being, having the privilege of being at the track when, when so many couldn't, uh, I mean, not that I ever took for granted, uh, you know, how cool my job is and all that stuff, you know what I mean? And, and the privileges and opportunities I have, but it really put it in perspective when the number of people was limited and the fans weren't there. And so hopefully, not that our jobs got more important, but hopefully we were able to communicate and convey all the fun stuff going on, David. I'll never forget the bounty race at Charlotte. That was so cool. Uh, you know, Chase Elliott won that and then took the bow. Little things like that. I'll remember Haley Deegan's debut, which was uh, much better than maybe a lot of people thought it would be. The emergence of some of these young guys in the truck series like Sheldon Creed who went on to be champion. We didn't even talk much about that last restart, David. Ninth to first in one lap for him. So it's little things like that I will remember in 2020. It's pretty fun. For me, this year offered a glimpse into NASCAR's future for better and for worse. Uh, for better, the banning of the Confederate flag and making this a more inviting, inclusive sport is a progressive step that's long overdue. And for better, this season, uh, based on teams attempting to overcome two different rules packages, based on the track having conflicting ideologies, we saw a year in which strategy and intelligence had its day. And I don't think there's a going back. Uh, track position might now be favored across the board as opposed to speed and talent. And we should take our cues from the teams that figured that out. Every stat that we discussed on the pod this year, every stat on motorsports analytics will come under intense scrutiny by me during the offseason. Some stats will need to be fleshed out more. Uh, some we should give diminished attention to because they aren't as relevant uh, now uh, as they previously were. And that's okay. My ego isn't big enough to deny evolution, and it gives us new subjects to discuss, keeps us in jobs and employed, and that's a good thing. Uh, for worse, Alan, I think we had... A brush with the realization that this sport plays for keeps. Uh, Ryan Newman escaped a more serious injury at Daytona, and it was a reminder that what we watch every weekend is, in fact, dangerous. And if anything comes from his crash, I hope that it's an emphasis on building a safer next-gen race car. Uh, I honestly don't know how high safety is on the list of priorities for the new car, but I hope it's climbed the rankings since that accident. We've gone... 19 years without seeing one of our heroes perish. And I'd like to keep that streak going. So Ryan Newman's crash, a reminder that there's always work to be done in this regard. Uh, so that is important. And the common denominator for, for all of these things that I mentioned, obviously they vary in how serious they are to daily life, but the common denominator is progress. And 2020 
taught us to keep up the progression, which fitting for us, positive regression is an oxymoron. The grammatically correct way to refer to positive regression is progression. And if no one grows from what was learned this year, then what are we even doing? Uh, I can't speak for the rest of the sport, but I can promise that uh, we'll learn our lessons, good and bad, and keep pushing forward. Well said, David. You should be a writer. You know that's what I'm. Yeah. That, that's what I'm uh, pushing for you for 2021. Good stuff, <laughs> David. No, always a pleasure, man. And we'll end like we always do, reminding you that we are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, Luminary, and TuneIn. We're available no matter your device. Our entire catalog of episodes is available for free. PauseRegPod.com. Go back and re-listen to some of them. They're pretty good. Uh, you got a whole off season to do it. If you like what you're hearing, please leave us a rate or a review. I promise you that kind of stuff over this past year, especially has helped so much. This little podcast grow, uh, telling your friends, mentioning it on Twitter. It's so kind of you guys. And if it is a positive in your life, you know, in your racing fandom, leave us that review or tell a friend anything to help us grow. It really does help. So we do notice obviously, and it is so appreciated. And again, all of us were in this together. I like to believe we are all just racing fans at heart. So a hell of a year, both personally and professionally and as a sports fan. And we all stuck in it together here on Positive Regression. So, David, I thank you for that. For David Smith, I'm Alan Kavana. Have a great offseason, everybody. Interact with us on Twitter, of course. But we will see you here on Positive Regression in 2021. Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.